Welcome to Western Reaches. This is our sixth episode. We are a Tashi Station Network podcast, and we're here to talk to you about Star Wars and video games and all the nerdy stuff that's been going on in our lives. I'm Megan. I'm here with Saf. And this is going to be sort of a short episode because we just have had a lot going on outside, and um, there's not a lot of Star Wars news that we particularly want to talk about this week, so maybe expect something a little shorter. We don't have a big, really long discussion in this episode, but we'll be back in two weeks. We'll see what happens then. Um, <laughs> Saf, I know you've been busy with, with a project. What have you been doing? Yeah, so... Next week, I'm doing a week of the Hunger Games on my blog, um, Not Safe for Work, which means that for like the last month or so, I've basically just been devouring everything Hunger Games I can get my hands on, which nobody's surprised by probably, but it means that I've had to like analyze the books down to crazy amounts and the media that surround the books, like the advertising campaigns and stuff, which has been super interesting because this is stuff I've been wanting to talk about for like years, basically. And I've kind of been holding off until the final movie came out. And so now I've got a chance to actually write all of my thoughts about the books, which is a lot of thoughts. Anyone that follows me should know that. Um, So I haven't been reading much and I also haven't been playing many games just because I've been so overwhelmed by Katniss and Suzanne Collins' world, essentially. But I love it. I've been impressed by the little things you've been posting on Twitter and the amount of sources you have, and I haven't, I know I haven't seen the half of it, so good job so far. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's been a while since I've had a chance to do something like this, because I haven't been at uni for a few years, and so it's been a good test of finding sources and finding information as well, which is probably something that I should keep if I want to continue to do writing, I guess. It certainly seems like you're putting together a very thorough, very thorough project, so could yeah. could go on a resume. <laughs> Hopefully. I just love The Hunger Games that much. It could go on my resume. But if anyone wants to read my thoughts about The Hunger Games, it'll be on my blog, like I said, um, not Seth Warwick. Next week, the entire week, and there's going to be two guest posts, theoretically. The second guest post might not happen because that friend is questionable on deadlines, but it's going to be good. Cool. So I have been reading a lot, but right now I'm reading about six books that I feel kind of neutral about. So I realized that I never talked about one that I read back in April on this podcast. I don't think I did. If I repeat myself, you're all just going to have to listen to me repeat myself. I'm very sorry. Um, (laughs) I read Every Heart a Doorway by uh, Shannon McGuire. I think her first name is pronounced that way. And um, it's a short, it's a novella. I read it very quickly. It's sort of a deconstruction of portal fantasy in that it's about a boarding school for kids who went to a fantasy world. So essentially Narnia or um, Fillory, if you're going to use another deconstruction as an example. And it's all these kids went to different worlds and now they're back in the real world and their parents don't really know how to deal with them. And it's this great little school story. A lot of female characters. Um, There's a trans character. One of the things that I thought was most interesting about it is that the author very quietly mentions that the reason there are a lot of girls and women at this school is because girls are socialized to be quieter than boys. So when they're children, girls are much more likely to disappear. They're more likely to go and be able to wander around a house and find a wardrobe, whereas little boys will be missed because they're usually loud. 
And huh. like, I thought that was super insightful. And as someone who read a lot of portal fantasy, as someone who was a teenager that really liked, you know, Harry Potter and these discussions of like other worlds, I thought it did a really good job at showing like the nice fantasy aspect, but also the sort of anger that a lot of these kids had because all of them went to another world and then came back and they're bitter about that and they want to find a way to go back and it really without sounding preachy or without sounding sort of saccharine and bitter it really showed how their experiences not with the fantasy world but with the real world messed up these kids and I really I really liked it that sounds really cool. I love that idea so much. And I especially love the noting why there are so many ladies or girls in that situation. That's really cool. Yeah, that was something. There were a couple things in this book that just kind of came out of nowhere where I was just like, I didn't, I wouldn't have required an explanation for that. I would have been like, oh, there are a lot of female characters. Cool. But the fact that there was an explanation was really good. And I'm seeing here on goodreads that apparently there are going to be other um other installments in this series there's it looks like it's going to be a trilogy but i kind of love the ending a lot and it's one that i'm curious to see where they go but it, it was almost a perfect length as is i thought yeah were there any characters in particular that resonated with you yeah there is um so the twins are uh Two girls who were sent to a sort of world from, like, old-fashioned horror movies. So one of them became a vampire, like, Dracula-style vampire, and the other was the apprentice to, essentially, Dr. Frankenstein. So she knows, like, exactly how much electricity you need to run through a human body in order to get it to do weird stuff. And the other, the other girl is very um, sort of quiet about what happened to her, but she is a really interesting story too. And the two of them, you find out, you know, you see what they're like in the boarding school and you find out what they were like before they went away. And those are very different. And I love that it showed how they had been changed. Um, I liked the main character. She went to a world where essentially she she had to be quiet. She like was in this underworld where the way their society sort of worked and like the way it worshipped its king and queen were to be silent, to be like statues. So she has to learn how to speak up. And that was I part of me thought that I couldn't quite latch on to that. That idea of whether or not her silence was a good thing was played with in an interesting way in this book. But um, to me, the like bad scientist character, I liked her personally more. But the main character had really solid traits to her too. That's good. I can... I mean, you liking the mad scientist is, is a little bit classic, but I also do the same thing. <laughs> so I can understand that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so the other, uh, like I said, I'm reading a lot right now, but the other like reading project that I'm starting is I'm rereading both Aftermath and the Jedi Academy trilogy Aftermath because Life Dead is coming out in the later in the summer and the Jedi Academy trilogy because 
1138 started a series called Fatal Faves about where people basically defend um, Star Wars books that a lot of fans think were not good. <laughs> so I said, well, I need to defend the Jedi Academy trilogy because I adore it. So I'm rereading that, which I haven't read since high school, and I'm not very far in, but that has been exactly the experience I wanted it to be so far. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be an interesting series from 1138. I hope so. Yeah, you should check out 1138 and um uh there's going to be my friend Rocky is going to help out with that article, so that should be cool. It's yeah. weird reading two Star Wars books at one time that are one from the new canon and one from the Legends canon. It's very weird. I am basically always doing that because I'm doing um the X-Wing series for Rogue Podron. And also because I've kind of given up at the moment, but I'm trying to read through all of the EU chronologically, which is crazy. And I'm stuck on Coruscant Nights because it is an awful book. It's terrible. It's so bad. Um, oh, man. <laughs> okay. There's, there's a place in my heart for Jax Pavin, but go on. I can't stand him because I love Lorne Pavin, and he's really, like, he's a real jerk about his dad. I don't know if he gets bitter about it later on, but because I love Lorne, whenever he sees something like, oh, I don't care about him or whatever, I'm just like, how dare you say that about your father? Um, <laughs> that's fair. That, that's totally fair. Yeah, which I think comes from reading it chronologically because the Lorne books are obviously like prequel era stuff and then Jax is a bit later on. So I've been having, I've been struggling with that book. I'm not sure if I'm actually going to finish it or if I'm just going to give up and move on to the book after, whatever that happens to be. But for now, Rogue Squadron is kind of taking up all my EU reading time anyways. But I'm reading those like, Whenever a new book comes out, I'm still reading the old stuff too. So I always have the weird thing that I get to something in the new canon. And I'm like, I know this from the old canon. Is it? Is it still canon? Like, like I get confused between the canon sometimes because I've got them both going on in my head at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's weird because um, Aftermath is set shortly after Return of the Jedi. And the Jedi Academy series is set a little later. Maybe, um, you know several years after and um they like the, the time is the hard part I'm having right now it's almost like my brain is trying to make them into one single continuity like I keep going back to okay this is after like you know Luke is on Coruscant talking to the Senate after Ray Sloan captures Wedge Antilles I'm like no it's how it goes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, yeah I'm very much in the beginning, so I'm sure that I will talk on various corners of the internet about how that read is going. Cool. So I think, again, both of us didn't have a lot of time to play games this week, but both of us have played Undertale. And so let's let's talk about being stuck on Undertale, because this game is very difficult. <laughs> and... So I think last time we did Western Reaches, I was also stuck on a completely different part. But I'm currently stuck on the Miss Moffat, the spider, um, where basically if you buy a spider, um, the spider pastries, you know, at the beginning, there's a stand with like the spider pastries. If you buy one from a particular stand, you won't have to fight this boss at all. She'll just oh, be dear. like, great, you bought a pastry. Come on in. So but it's a particular pastry at a particular stall? I think so. I've heard different um, different explanations of this, and I'll talk more about that. But 
when you get to her, there's a stand where they sell very expensive spider pastries. It's like $9,999 gold or whatever. It's like super expensive. So I just passed it by. So I was like, I don't, I'm not, I can't afford that. Um, and then you get to this boss. And it's, you know, the, the bullet time, um, not bullet time. Um, you know, it's your, your typical Undertale gameplay, but it's just this lots of sequences, and I can't get past the third sequence, and it's it's not fun, because I'm, I keep getting to the same spot every time, like, there's no sense of progression, it's just, I know exactly what's gonna happen every time, I'm gonna do fine until, like, the third round, and then I'm gonna die, and that's it. So... I'm a little disenchanted with Undertale right now. I really enjoy it. I think it's funny. It's not like life changing, but I might set it aside for a little while just because it's really hard. <laughs> and a friend told me that you you don't have to fight her if you buy this certain pastry. And I'm, I could be wrong. He said that if you buy a pastry early in the game and hold it with you, I think you won't have to fight her either. But I wasn't sure, and it wasn't clear, and I think I'm, I'm honestly more used to games that, like, very blatantly point you in a direction, like Mass Effect says, you know, you can go up to a character and say, are we ready for this mission, and they'll say no if you're not ready. There's no, like, indication like that. Did you, did you have similar trouble? I, did you buy any pastries from spiders? Because now I'm like, I bought a pastry from a spider, am I safe? I don't know. <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure that I bought a pastry from a spider early in the game and then ate it uh. and that didn't count toward like because I wasn't holding it or because I didn't buy the really expensive one right it I couldn't and the um I was reading a walkthrough and the walkthrough just said just fight her like it'll be you know she's a boss it won't be easy <laughs> but just fight her but it's not happening so far yeah I am um... I think a few weeks back when I was like, oh yeah, I'm stuck on Undertale, I'm stuck at these two dogs I can't get past. And I was stuck on there for ages because every time I opened it up, I would try it once and I'd be like, ah, I'm stuck, I, I give up. And so I, I quit out of it. Um, the other day, I actually picked it up and I was like, okay, I'm going to get past these dogs, I'm going to do it today. I'm determined. And I managed to do it on like the first try that day. I guess I was just super determined. Or maybe I did something right for once that I'd been failing at miserably before. Um, nice. So I finally got past that and I got through like a few of the, you know, the, the quote puzzles that um papyrus sets you um that aren't really puzzles at all because they're really simple and i got past that and then i was like man it's real late i i don't even care i'm just gonna go to sleep and then i haven't picked it up since because i've been really busy and haven't had a chance to and i know that i'm gonna get stuck soon anyways so i'm so like eh, i want to play it but i also just don't want to deal with how hard it is because nobody prepared me for that before I played it. They're like, oh yeah, it's super fun, it's super short, you can just play it through in a couple of days. I was like, okay, cool, because I binge game, so when I get a new game, I play it non-stop until I'm finished, basically. And that works fine if I'm playing something like Mass Effect to a point, even though those are long games, they're relatively linear and simple, um, or something like Firewatch was four hours long, and because... I'm used to shorter indie games. I expected Undertale to be something that I could just binge for like a day and then finish. And it turns out that I just get too frustrated at getting stuck at it to actually do that. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. And it's oh, a lot of my friends said like, you love this game. It'll, it'll teach you about yourself and it'll teach you about feelings. I don't know. And it, it's good. Like, it's really funny. There are some really like emotional moments there's the moment where I don't know if you got to this the two guards attack you and the way to like 
talk your way out of it is to make one of them realize his feelings for the other and then they're just like hey bro want to go out for lunch and they do and like you've won (laughs) that's so cute it, it was cute and funny and weird and like I enjoy those moments but um it doesn't justify the the sense of um lack of progress when it comes to my ability to actually play you know to dodge yeah. things so that's that's where i am with that yeah and i like it enough like it's a it's a cool game and i see why everyone else likes it and i love what it does with the game conventions and stuff but the problem is that because i want to do narrative design like as a job I already analyze that stuff in games anyway. So when I'm playing a game, I analyze like, why are you making this choice? What is the game telling you to do? Why is it telling you to do this? Why is it making me think in this direction kind of thing? And so everything that Undertale is supposed to make you analyze about how you're playing the game is stuff I already do naturally because of what I want to do and how I'm going about that. And I play a lot of other meta games as well that kind of make you think about what you're doing in the game and why you're doing that. And so I think a lot of people who are going into this game and they're getting like they're like, wow, this is so cool. I've never thought about this before. I I'm not entirely getting that just because of yeah my my love for narrative design already, and I I love what Undertale is doing. It's cool to see from that point of view as well. But I'm also like I already I it doesn't need to tell me these things because I already know them. Oh, uh-huh, you're one step ahead. Yeah, a little bit, and it might <laughs> it might go further later on. Like I don't know, I can't judge it yet. But so far, I'm not having the mind blowing revelations that some people seem to have had which is cool for them like it's really cool that there's a game that could give people these ideas and point this stuff out so that when they're coming to other games or potentially to game design themselves they're thinking about it in a different way which is awesome i love that kind of stuff in games which is why i play so many meta games is because that stuff is really cool yeah and that's you know my full disclosure i haven't finished it i don't know something waiting for me i've like seen some fan art and stuff like i've had something spoiled for me and the fan art is cute i i like undyne she's a cool character um but it's not it hasn't been mind blowing do you think so one of the main impressions that i got from this game was that not only does it not hold your hand it sometimes takes your hand and pulls you in the wrong direction. And um, did you feel that it was any more obscure or any more sort of counterintuitive than anything else you'd played? Or did you feel that this is about average for this style of game? A lot. I play a lot of like games that mess with narrative and narrative design and that kind of stuff. Um, and the way you think with games. Like I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like I pick up little games that are like an hour long that you just play on like... I can't remember any of the sites at the moment, but there are little games that you pick up and you play them and like they kind of make you think about that. Like They'll pur- purposely pull you in the wrong direction so they eventually you reach a point and you have to think about what you've done and why you're in that direction. Um, Undertale, for the size of the game it is and like the amount of popularity it ended up getting, it's a little bit more like that than usual. It's very similar to older games which don't hold your hand as much. It's a very common thing for older games, like older RPGs. Yeah. Like you, you don't really know what you're doing. You kind of do have to buy like random items from some random person or else you end up getting like impossibly stuck later in the game. That's very common in old games. And so it's been something that's kind of been weaned out over the years as games have become more mainstream and more for an open audience. So they want everyone to be able to play, which is a very cool thing that they're doing. I love that. And but it also means that when you encounter games like Undertale, when a newer generation comes into Undertale, they don't understand this stuff. They're coming into it and they're like, I don't know why I have to buy this thing. I don't know why I have to do this because they're not used to those conventions. And so for modern games, like I said, like in the same mainstream area that Undertale has become, it's not 
quite average. It is a bit harder than what a lot of people are used to, but it's still not like crazy different. Huh, that's funny. I feel like because I feel like audiences have really taken to it, but I'm just like I'm not speaking the same visual language as this game. The um oh so I got to the laboratory part, like the the power station, which is I think a little further than you are. I think did you meet Alfie's? The scientist? No, not yet. I think you're a bit further okay. than me, yeah. Well, that is okay. a bit further than me. So there's a part where um, you play these puzzle games where basically you have to move blocks around and, like, clear a space for you to fire a bullet through and hit a target. And they were so much fun. And I was just like, I'm just going to play this tiny mini game the whole time. And those were great. But then near that area is the first time you see... Um, and here, I'll describe this to you. So you go down a hallway, it's silent, and there's steps down to a river, and there's a hooded figure on a boat. And you talk to them, and they say, if you give me coins, I'll transport you across the river. What What do you think that is? What's your first impression? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because to me, I immediately went... I don't know if it's funnier to explain this first or less. That's fast travel. It's just fast travel. It takes you to, like, whatever other towns you visited. But I looked at this creepy hooded figure who wanted coins and went, It's death. He is, like, the the ferryman to carry you across the river sticks. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. They're not going to put coins on my eyes. So I was like, I'm not doing this at all. <laughs> and And... It's just fast travel. Like, I was going very quickly between the game and a walkthrough at this point, so I just looked at it, and they're like, oh yeah, that'll take you back to the snow town. I'm like, all my mythology alarms were going off for no reason. It was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. That was a thing. <laughs> That's a really interesting design choice. It So it gets cuter if you get on the boat. It, like, grows legs, and it's basically a cat bus, but it's cat boat, mm-hmm. and... It just kind of toodles along and, like, the fairy man talks to you or fairy being. And I don't think you ever see their face, but it's fine. It's very safe. It's just very weird. I I liked it because it was very weird. That sounds really cool. So that's something that you could potentially look forward to. Yeah. Um, Speaking of indie games that are narrative-based somewhat. I mean, no. Undertale isn't entirely narrative-based, but there's um an interactive fiction... I don't know if that's actually what it's called. It, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's a narrative narrative fiction game called Killing Time at Lightspeed, which has just come out on Steam. The page has come out on Steam. The game is not yet out, but it's coming out very soon. Um, full disclosure, I am friends with the person creating it, but this game, I am super excited for it, because basically the idea is that Okay, the blurb is, browse social media at the speed of light. Watch your friends grow old in the blink of an eye. Realize there's nothing you can do about it. Tell your friends you love them one last time. And so the idea oh, is you're on a ship um, heading away from Earth, and as you go faster and further away, the time between you getting updates, like when you when you click refresh, like time has passed way faster on Earth. And so... I don't entirely know what you're supposed to be doing in it yet. Like, I've just watched the trailer, which is really cool. But basically, you have the ability to affect what you're seeing, but you can't change what's actually happening. And like I said, it's a it's an interactive fiction, so 
it's not like gameplay is like running around as a little person. It's basically social media. So you have like things that are kind of like Twitter or like your emails or something or like news feeds and you can go through those and read different stuff. And like I said, I have not played it, so I don't entirely know what it's like, but it looks super cool. And I love the idea of just watching social media and the earth and the things that are changing on earth happen as you're going away and happening faster and faster. And there's a thing called ocular in it, which is like an implant, which I assume is like um, implants the internet in your head and stuff like that. And so I think you're seeing like cultural shifts around virtual reality in your head basically and how that affects things and it sounds really interesting and I'm really excited about it and also I think there's an icon in there that is based off of one of my my twitter photo I it's like a random commenter so I'm not even sure if anyone will even see it but that's kind of exciting too but yeah like I said I love interactive fiction games I love very narrative heavy games and I also love science fiction stuff that is about cultural shifts and I get very excited about social media, so I'm super excited for this game. That sounds really interesting. It also sounds very sad. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to make me cry, which is kind of what I like in my games, which is, you know, maybe a weird thing to say, but people like people like strong emotions. And yeah, I've added it to my wish list. I think I voted for it on Greenlight or something like a while back. Um, yeah, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go search it up. Like I said, it's Killing Time at Lightspeed. Go wishlist it or something, or even check it out because it looks amazing. That's a heck of a premise. Yeah. Yeah. It plays into, like, exactly what I love. So, yeah. Nice. So, speaking of light speed, we're going to talk briefly about Star Wars. And I think the most exciting news from, like, the Star Wars books realm is we got an image of one of the characters from Lost Stars. Um, we got an image of Sienna Ree. And it was shown on the Star Wars show last week because it's part of a, an expansion to the, um, the Fantasy Flight card game, I believe. Yeah. So what I, I, just, I always love seeing illustrations of expanded universe characters. I think I've talked before about how like I love when they make action figures of expanded universe characters. And um, it was really cool to see this because, you know, we'd all had images of her when we read it but she looks very much also like the um actress that claudia gray fan cast for her which is interesting so basically i just wanted to say that how much i liked that and that if they were going to continue to premiere images of expanded universe characters on the star wars show i would not complain yeah i really like seeing them in person not really in person but you know seeing their faces because i like i said i don't get visual like i said i don't know if i said it on here but i don't see things visually so i have not even though like i looked up her actress and stuff and i knew what claudia gray wanted getting that into the star wars thing i couldn't really do and so seeing her in that gorgeous art because it is gorgeous art was really really cool and it was i think i woke up and that was like the first thing i saw when i went on twitter i was like this is amazing this is the best thing that could happen um and yeah, she looks really cool, and I'm just very excited about that. And the fact that she's, like, the first character they chose to use for this thing, um, like, pre showing the newer characters on the Star Wars show in general, like, that's really cool as well. Yeah, I think that's awesome, because she is a woman of color, and she is a um, an Imperial pilot, and Lost Stars was really good, and all those things just combined. Yeah. I would... Love to see the um, the aftermath 
aftermath cast. Yeah, did you see Chuck Wendig said that John, John, what's his name? I can never remember his name. Um, wait, which character? Like or? the character that kind of joins the crew right at the end, the rebel oh, the guy. Yeah. Um, I think it is Jom. That sounds vaguely familiar. But yeah, he apparently said, I really do need to reread it. He said he saw him as Manu Bennett, and I'm like, yeah, Maori people in space. This is awesome. So I was very excited nice. about that. <laughs> so hopefully that translates into art if that ever becomes an official like if they make official art for that that would be really cool to see yeah well i'd love to see um some of the alien characters too jazz came to mind immediately yeah because i still don't know what color her skin is because it said moonlight blue and i was like what does that mean what color is her skin <laughs> did you see the fan art that chuck windig has been posting on the progress is that the one that um vagabond artist is working on Yes. Yeah, yeah. I actually follow him on Twitter, so I've been seeing his stuff as it goes. He also did um, fan art for A New Dawn, which was really cool. I just started following him, and I'm very much enjoying seeing the progress. And as I reread it, I'm using his his images, and they match really well. Yeah, because that's how um, Chuck Wendig said that about Jom and the different characters, because he was replying to, I can't remember his name, but Vagabond Artist was asking him like which races he saw people as and stuff. And so he's actually getting direct feedback from Chuck about the characters, which is probably really helping them match the books, which is really cool. I love that interaction between fan and creator. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. That's really cool. Yeah. So shout out to Vagabond Artist yeah, and go, Chuck Wendig. Go, go check Vagabond Artist out on Twitter because he does some <laughs> really cool stuff. So lastly, again, speaking of um, the connection between fans and canon writers, um... Celebration was announced this week. It's Celebration Orlando, although I keep wanting to give it a number, which is why I hesitated. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we're up to eight or something, but um, it will be held in Orlando this April, and I got my tickets. Did you uh, get yours, Saf? I did. It's so weird actually having like a hotel planned and my con tickets already, because when I was going to Anaheim, I only got like those things like february or march like it wasn't that far before the con that i actually got that stuff organized so it's very weird to be this prepared for me i got mine not long after they came out i think last year but i didn't get the hotel until late and i got both basically as soon as it was announced there was um originally i guess the link to the celebration orlando tickets was sending people to celebration london so i like nearly died because i saw everything was sold out and then i realized (laughs) it's london (laughs) so i got them as soon as possible possible i'm really excited i no news on what authors are gonna be there um i know that uh Jennifer, not Jennifer Heddle, um, Kathleen Kennedy, possibly Jennifer Heddle will be there as well. Um, Kathleen Kennedy will be on the main stage at some point. Um, the main cast so far, I think Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill are confirmed. And I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be cool because it'll be like the second, or well, it'll be the first, I think um, our friend Paul said on the podcast we do with him, Blaster Cannon, he said that it'll be the first one since... Was that you that said that? Since a movie came out. That That was you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Megan said that. It'll be the first American con since one of the movies has come out. And by then we'll have two movies out. And I'm really excited to see, like, both what 
will be there from those movies, but also for the movies ahead. And also for, I guess, the trilogy in general, like the sequel trilogy in general, because it'll be for episode eight. Um, a lot of the advertising and stuff that I'll be doing there will be for episode eight. And I'm assuming it's not going to be like as heavily secret as episode seven was, just because we're getting more material anyways, and also because J.J. Abrams isn't in charge of it, that we'll get more, hopefully, which would be cool. So I was just thinking about one of the, I guess, marketing strategies from Celebration 5, which was the, so I've only been to five, Anaheim, and then hopefully, you know, if all goes well, this Orlando one. Um, and at five, they were announcing the beginning of season five of the Clone Wars, I think. It might have been season four, but they did a mural on the floor of the of the dealer's room, and so during... The whole convention, somebody was like making this mural with chalk, and then there was a panel that showed some of the new stuff from the Clone Wars. I don't remember if it was video or just images, but it was when they showed that Darth Maul and Savage Opress were going to be like together. It showed that Darth Maul was going to be in the in the show, and when we came back out of the panel, the the mural had been completed and those characters were there. And it was like, I mean, naturally, I liked it because I like. Darth Maul, but I liked it because it was a super creative way to get excitement going, and I can't imagine the level of, like, secrecy and, like, media coordination and hype there would be if they did something really unique like that, again, for episode 8, for example. Yeah, that would be really cool to see. Something something creative. I love creative advertising campaigns so much, so I hope they do something awesome. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they could, like, fly over the convention center with drones spelling out the name of the next movie, and I wouldn't be surprised. That would be so cool. That would take so much coordination, but that would be so cool. Yes, it would. Well, San Diego Comic-Con, they got, like, a concert after a Star Wars panel or something. Yeah. I'm ready for that. (laughs) I wonder if we'll have the title of Episode 8 by then. We should, right? Or maybe not. Um, let's see. That will be the April before... And Celebration was the April before Force Awakens. So, I mean, there is the consideration that J.J. Abrams likes, likes secrets. Well, didn't and we, we don't... get... Oh, no, we got the name The Force Awakens, like, right before Celebration, didn't we? Oh, maybe. Because I think we got it beforehand. Um, yeah, and because then, of you're the, right, you're right. And then we the got trailer the teaser out. trailer, like, in October before then, or November or something. But then they did start advertising for The Force Awakens really early on, and this time they've got Rogue One to deal with. Um, and so it's possible we won't actually see that stuff until near celebration because the Rogue One hype will still be going until like April or something in the same way that The Force Awakens was still kind of going until April. And then we started getting Rogue One stuff. Yeah. And we'll have, let me think about books by then. I mean, things that we know about, we'll have Life Debt, we'll have the Rogue One novel, a cat- Catalyst, I think. And... Um, Empire's End will be out the next was summer. Was it Catalyst that got cancelled, or was it the comics that got cancelled? Um, I knew the comics got cancelled. I'm gonna look up Catalyst real quick. I don't remember if that got cancelled or not. I saw someone talking about a prologue thing getting cancelled, but I don't know if they were mentioning, like, talking about um, prologue There prequel. was a lot of discussion about the comic. The comic appears to have been cancelled in that it was, like, pulled from Amazon, and I think people got alerts that said it was, um, it, it would not be available. Huh. It looks to me, according to Wikipedia, which is a reasonable source, that, um, Catalyst is, is still on. Okay, cool. 
supposed to be in October. Cool. So, shout out, Tom, if I'm wrong (laughs) about that. (laughs) You can blame me. Will we have the Ahsoka novel by then? Oh, that's a good question. I have been following the Ahsoka novel less. There hasn't been much news about it. Um, no, and I think I'm sure there will be a lot more once it comes once it comes out because Disney Lucasfilm Press is good at good at that stuff. But yeah, let's see. October 11th. Okay, so that also that'll come out as part of the Rogue One push, also in October. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah, October is going to be a good month for books, I guess. Yeah. All right, so. Like I said, this is going to be a little bit of a short show. Anything else, uh, Saf, that you want to talk about? I cannot think of anything at all. We should be on time to uh, record again in two weeks. This week we shifted around a little bit because of the recording of Blaster Cannon, which is our other podcast. But um, Tashi Station is also back up and running, so check those things out if you want. And other than that, we will see you in two weeks. Um, I can be found online at blog full of words on Twitter, and that's the hub where you can get to all the other things that I do. Saf, what about you? I am on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can find most of my other stuff through there. Um, wow, my accent changed there for a second. Um, and also all my Hunger Games stuff will be advertised on that Twitter as well next week it's all it's gonna be exciting if you like the hunger games if you don't like the hunger games mute me next week for the entire week and then let me back in Uh (laughs) (laughs) ah cool well thanks for uh hanging out and don't forget to check the western reaches Mm -hmm.